Our story today takes us to Des Moines, Iowa in December of 2019. A 14-year-old girl named Natalia Miranda wakes up in a snowbank, scared and confused. She looks down to find that she's covered in cuts and bruises, her head pounding with a concussion. Miranda rises slowly from the snow and begins to stumble towards Indian Hills Junior High School for help. She attempts to piece together what has just happened to her. She remembers walking down the sidewalk on her way to a basketball game. She remembers turning head just in time to see a jeep jump the curb and accelerate towards her. The car had flown at her at high speed, leaving no time to jump out of the way. And then, darkness. She doesn't remember the impact, nor does she remember the 15 minutes that she spent laying in the snow unconscious. But she wakes up consumed with fear and tortured by one question. Why her? This is Invisible Heat. Hello listeners, welcome back to Invisible Heat. This is Adia Khan. And I'm Asad Bhatt. Asad, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing great, Sadia. I want to share with you and our listeners this amazing new TV show on Freebie, which is kind of the free version of Amazon. It's called Jury Duty. Have you heard about this? I have, but I haven't watched it yet. I absolutely loved it. I thought it was one of the best concepts for a TV show that I've ever seen. And uh, the execution was uh, phenomenal. I really thought it was a, an amazing show. Essentially, the concept is, if have you seen the, the Truman Show, the movie The Truman Show? I don't think so, I said. So The Truman Show, for those that aren't aware, is essentially a movie about a person who spent his entire life being captured by cameras, but he doesn't know that. He's in a reality show, the star of a reality show, but he, he's not a, aware of that. And jury duty kind of um, is the same concept. They do an entire trial where one person in the jury is a real person and everybody else in the entire trial and in the jury, everybody else is an actor. They play out this entire three-week trial with this person not knowing that it was it's a fake trial it's just a really fascinating look that's a fascinating story i said how are you doing sadia i am doing great i have another food story for you oh excellent so i was at this super healthy place today and since i had not eaten anything since morning i was like let me just get a bagel and i kid you not i said the bagel just tasted so bad. I feel like you have a lot of bagel stories. I have, but then there was this good bagel that I talked about a couple of weeks ago. And this <laughs> so this was is bad a bad bagel. bagel, okay. This is like all gluten-free and dairy-free bagel and people who like that shit, good for them. Oh, man. But I felt as if I was eating my sunscreen. Oh, wow. Okay. Wait, it was the cream cheese or the bagel that was bad? It was... I think cream cheese was worse than What kind than did bagel. you get? Like an onion bagel, plain bagel, multigrain? It was tomato and cheese Tomato. Oh, I mean, that's that's the problem to start. Who gets a tomato and cheese bagel? I don't know, I said, but I was like, 
just give me dairy. I am fine having, you know, dairy cream cheese. I cannot have non-dairy stuff. And I do understand some people have dietary restrictions and they have allergies and my sympathies with them. But if you're not having it because you want to be healthy and cool, I don't know how you don't guys do, do it. it. Yeah. Don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> All right. I love it. I love it. So do you want to get started then? Yeah, let's get started. So for those listeners who are joining us for the first time, Invisible Hate is a weekly true crime podcast in which Asad and I attempt to uncover the ugly truths behind various hate crimes, both recent and historical. That's right, Sadia. Many of the cases that we discuss involve crimes committed against minority groups. Our goal is to determine through a discussion of the nuances and complexities of these unfortunate situations whether or not these transgressions can be considered hate crimes. As will soon become clear, today's case fits many of the criteria for a hate crime, but we'll get into the specifics of that in a little bit. For now, let's simply start with the details of the case. Let's get started, Sadia. It is 3.30 in the afternoon, December 9th, 2019. A 42-year-old white woman named Nicole Poole Franklin drives her black Jeep Grand Cherokee down Creston Avenue in Des Moines, Iowa. Also on Creston Avenue walks a 12-year-old boy and his older sibling. Poole Franklin spots the pair and, believing them to be of Middle Eastern or African descent, drives up over the curb and towards the children, seeking to strike them with her car. At 3.54 p.m., she hits the 12-year-old boy running over one of his legs and leaving him injured with cuts, bruises, and swelling. In the process, she almost hits the boy's sibling who is walking beside him but just misses. She then flees the scene, driving away from the shocked, injured boy and his sibling before she can be identified or apprehended. My goodness, Sally, what a scary story. I mean... This is just wild to me. So this was a hit and run? Yes, I said. Unfortunately, this was a hit and run. So wait, Sally, I think you said that the original victim of the hit and run was a woman named Natalia Miranda. Where does she fit into this? Is this a, 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 a different hit and run? I said, unfortunately, Poole Franklin does not stop her violent acts with the 12-year-old boy. Natalia Miranda is her second hit and run victim. So yeah. Both of them were hit by Poole Franklin. About 30 minutes after hitting the young boy, Poole Franklin is driving near Indian Hills Junior High School in Clive, Iowa, when she spots 14-year-old Natalia Miranda walking along the sidewalk. This time, Poole Franklin believes the girl to be Mexican. So she's making shit up in her mind. Yeah, sure. Yeah, she's And just as with the boy, this observation inspires violence. At 4.18 p.m., before Miranda can react, Poole Franklin drives over the curb and accelerates towards her, knocking her down into the snowbank, unconscious. Same thing that she did previously, Asad. This impact is even more powerful than the first, leaving Miranda with severe cuts and bruises, painful swelling and a significant concussion. At first, she is unable to feel her legs. So Asad, here's an A&E interrogation raw clip of interview with the girl's father, Cesar Miranda. She couldn't move her, uh, her legs, neither one. She keeps saying over and over, I can't feel my legs. Miranda is hospitalized 
for two full days before being able to return home when interviewed by the Des Moines CBS affiliate KCCI. She said, I was in the hospital bed. I tried moving and I couldn't. I couldn't get out of my bed. Sitting up was the worst pain I've ever felt. Thankfully though, Miranda is able to make a full recovery, which is wonderful us, yeah, right? That's awesome. Just as with the first hit and run, Poole Franklin flees the scene immediately, leaving Miranda lying unconscious in the snow for what police believe to have been at least 15 minutes. Wow. Now some listeners may think, well, 15 minutes is not that long a time, but imagine somebody is unconscious, they are bruised and injured. So they need immediate assistance, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's it's so scary. I mean, I can't even imagine the situation. So Miranda then wakes up, rises from the snowbank and stumbles to the junior high school to seek help. The school calls the police to report the incident and calls Miranda's parents to let them know what has happened. I said this is so scary as I'm reading this, imagine as a parent getting that call. Oh, I mean, I think this is every parent's nightmare, right? Like the school calling you and saying that your daughter is in a state of distress that she's been run over or bruised i mean whew i mean i can't even imagine what it's like to be a parent and then rushing over to the school i mean and as every parent or at least most parents would do her parents come to the school immediately finding their daughter in a state of distress in an interview with KCCI Miranda's father Cesar Miranda explains when i got there um I saw her shaking, crying, scared. I mean that says it all, right? Shaking, crying, scared. You know, I imagine that sort of experience would be traumatizing for anyone, let alone a 14-year-old girl and then her parents as well. So, yeah, just kind of crazy. Going back to Pool Franklin, so she flees uh from the scene immediately. Do police eventually find her? Like where you know, what happens? So unfortunately I said the jeep knocks Miranda unconscious before she has time to see who the driver is but despite Paul Franklin's quick exit she certainly does not go into hiding after committing these two violent crimes what the hell I said like I am so surprised sometimes at the perpetrators and their behavior mm-hmm. I mean they are nasty and evil to begin with but then being so blatant about it anyways Less than an hour after hitting Miranda, she continues her prejudiced, reckless rage at a Conoco gas station in West Des Moines. Paul Franklin enters the store and attempts to steal several items, including both food and alcohol. When an employee confronts her, she begins screaming racist slurs oh, at the worker yep. and the other black customers in the gas station while throwing items at them. And this can be so traumatic for anybody I said I cannot imagine what the customers or the employees must be thinking while she's going on this rant and her crazy 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 behavior. Yeah, agreed. Anyways, several individuals in the store record this batshit crazy outburst and at 5:15 p.m. the police are called to the station. You want man Mm-hmm. Police arrive and Paul Franklin is arrested for assault, public intoxication and misdemeanor 
theft. Oh, I'm glad that they were able to arrest her. That's really interesting, but also a great way to avoid getting caught for the more serious crime that you just <laughs> did, which is running people over with your car. Did the police know that they were arresting someone that was just in a couple of hit and runs uh, a couple minutes before, or did they not know that? So I said at the time, police had no idea of the extent of Paul Franklin's crimes. In the initial investigation of these incidents, detectives ultimately had little to go on as Poole Franklin had left both scenes before she could be identified or apprehended. Detectives in the Clive Police Department and the Des Moines Police Department investigated the two cases separately, seemingly unaware of the other attack and the connection between the two. And this shows us that sometimes police can be pretty clueless. Clive police were unsure as to whether Miranda's hit and run had been intentional or a case of reckless driving. But despite these unknowns, they immediately set out to find the culprit. According to a statement released by Clive Police Department Chief Michael Venema. From the moment this happened, our officers were out knocking on doors, checking for uh, home video uh, surveillance, uh, checking with the uh, Bus driver. According to an interview on the A&E series Interrogation Raw, police even retraced Miranda's steps from her home to Indian Hills Junior High School, stopping to examine the tire tracks visible in the grass where Miranda had been hit. Wow, impressive. Yeah. They soon received a photo of a potential eyewitness taken just minutes before the incident from a duplex security camera located nearby. The owner of the camera identified the individual as his, and wait for it, I said, ex-wife, oh. Nicole Poole Franklin, who sought to visit her daughter, believing incorrectly that she and her father still lived there. Oh, I love this turn of events. Okay, this is interesting. Yeah, given that the photo was taken right before the hit and run in such close proximity to the site of the crime, investigators sought to interview Poole Franklin. Smart. It wasn't until about three days later that they learned that she was in the Polk County Jail after being apprehended for an incident occurring at a gas station in West Des Moines just 45 minutes after Miranda's hit and run. So, so basically, they're looking for her. They're like, where is she? Where is she? Where is she? Oh, she's already in jail in the other county jail. Right. Seeing that Poole Franklin's black Jeep Grand Cherokee matched Miranda's description of the vehicle that hit her as a dark-colored Jeep, police immediately offered a search warrant to examine the car. You know, Sadia, I was almost uh, hit by a car a couple months ago when I was out oh. walking my dog at night. A car just kind of like came out of nowhere when I was crossing the street and I really had to like jump back and then also pull on the leash on my dog so my dog wouldn't get hit. Of course, I'm yelling expletives, kind of like what you do on the show all the time. And <laughs> in that, it was dark at night, and I I tried to look to see, you know, what the vehicle looked like and what, you know, um, the license plate was. But I, I just couldn't do it, and I, I couldn't see it, and that, it didn't register in my head right away. So I'm actually, all that's to say is I'm really impressed that uh, Miranda was able to get a description of, the, you know, the Jeep Grand Cherokee enough so that the police could track it down. 
oh my gosh i said that must be so scary and i hope it was just an accident and not a deliberate act right yeah. oh i'm assuming that it was accidental and ever since then i now wear lights and reflective gear at night so that people know where i am and 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 when i'm walking yeah that's a great idea anyways going back to the case according to several members of the clive police department interviewed by the ane network the examination revealed what looked to be the mark of a shoe print on the passenger side door as well as dirt patches that looked like impressions made by clothing wow that's wild i didn't know that that kind of stuff made you know impressions like that that's really fascinating isn't that bizarre Asa? yeah that's great so given this information police began to suspect a connection between nicole pool franklin and natalia's hit and run 10 days after the attack police called Pool Franklin who was already in custody from her previous arrest in for questioning she immediately admitted to the crime telling investigators that she ran over the girl because she believed that the girl was and i quote a mexican well wow there it is right she then went on to make a series of derogatory statements about latinos saying that she tried to take over homes and just okay it's like taking over what do you mean by taking over homes taking over homes yeah yeah stop it she's taking over the jobs okay pool franklin even admitted to accelerating over the curb and towards miranda in an attempt to injure or kill her so as if she is admitting that she was intending to kill Miranda not just injure her yeah i mean you know cars are deadly weapons and so yeah of course like if she's accelerating with the intent to hit someone even if you don't intend to kill them you're going to injure them and potentially murder them I, wow crazy and she is not remorseful at all as at least from the information that we have yeah. now obviously it seems that she was bragging about it in a way right Shortly after this admission of guilt, investigators of the Clive Police Department learned from the Des Moines Police Department that they were investigating a very similar hit and run case of a 12-year-old boy occurring just minutes before the attack on Miranda. Police connected Paul Franklin to this transgression as well. Finally, Asad, finally it yeah, happened. Yeah, so the police were able to connect the dots and talk to each other and and figure out that these crimes were connected and um yeah, that's great. So, get this Asad, according to court documents, Paul Franklin later told police that she had hit the boy because he is just like Isis. Wow, what does that mean? Oh. So What does that mean? <laughs> look like a uh, look like someone who would be a member of Isis whatever that means that's fascinating. I mean, she knows something that you and I don't. Yeah, that's true. Maybe she should be hired by the CIA or something <laughs> else. And then she goes on to say he's not supposed to be there and he's going to take me out. Oh, wow. so of course the fear factor that's crazy. Oh, so sad. Anyways, I said we are going to take a quick break, but when we come back we'll be discussing both the victims and the perpetrator in greater depth so we are back let's talk about the two minors whom nicole pool franklin hit with her car on the fateful day of december 9th 2019 ultimately 
very little is known about either victim and this is likely because both children are in fact minors and as a result their personal information has been highly protected and it's released very selective and controlled and i'm glad as said i'm so glad that they did that and this is especially true of the first victim the 12 year old boy do we know anything do we know his name who he is anything like that i said we don't know his name he remains nameless in all news reports covering the hit and run again i assume that this has to do with his young age remember he was only 12 years old when the crime was committed so when it comes to minors many news outlets on the basis of ethics opt to require parental consent before releasing any personal information which i think is great and in terms of the courts in this case it appears that the judge left it up to the families to determine whether or not they wanted to release the names and details of their children as the official court documents omit their names referring to them only by age and gender so essentially all that we have to go off is demographic information the boy was 12 years old when he was hit and he is black a trait that seems to have triggered Paul Franklin's discriminatory actions Usman Sanford the father of the boy did however come to court to testify against Paul Franklin on his son's behalf On the stand he explained that his son had become aggressive and angry after the attack claiming that the incident will likely affect his life going forward how sad is that asad yeah i mean it's of course you know that's going to happen this 12 year old kid like you get run over by a car of course that's going to affect you for the rest of your life i mean every time you cross the street every time you're out for a walk i mean you're always going to be looking behind you i mean i wouldn't be surprised if he was you know every time he see hears a car like something triggers inside of him i mean it just of course you know that's going to have lasting impact i hope he's getting the help that he needs to kind of overcome it clearly little is known about the first victim sadia but what about natalia miranda well we know her name which is a good start but other than that i said we still don't know all that much about her miranda lives in clive iowa with both of her parents and at least one brother She is Latina which seems to have angered Paul Franklin just as with the young boy unlike the 12-year-old victim though Miranda and her family opted to be far more vocal about her unfortunate experience agreeing to several interviews with news and media sources such as KCCI and ANE network Both Natalia Miranda and her father Cesar Miranda testified in court speaking out against Paul Franklin's violent discriminatory actions. According to NBC News in her testimony Miranda said and I quote, "I am sorry my skin color bothered you, but me and my people are never leaving." Unquote. Good for her. Yeah, for sure. Caesar said that he forgives Paul Franklin but the incident has caused him to lose faith in the United States for the time being. Oh, Again, yeah. I said this is so sad. It really breaks my heart to see what these people have gone through and how they are feeling not just about the incident but the broader society. Yeah. I mean, I think that this is like, you know, this is what it comes down to. That something as simple as 
you know, walking outside and you're targeted because of what you look like, you know, that's what's happening in this country and, you know, probably happens every day. We just don't hear the stories of it. And so, yeah, there's no doubt that, you know, Caesar and is losing his faith in the U.S. because this stuff is still happening. It probably will happen to, you know, him or members of his family again, you know, maybe not as severe, you know, but certainly being targeted for um, their skin. Um, yeah, and, and that's really, really sad and the worst of, of what America uh, does to its uh, citizens. So tell me more about Nicole Poole Franklin and how did she get to, you know, this mental state of hers? Oh my gosh, I said we have a lot of information about Poole Franklin and I am telling you, you'll be shocked. All right. So she is a troubled woman with a loaded history of mental health struggles. According to a memorandum released by her federal public defender, Joseph Harold, Poole Franklin's mental health was first examined after she attempted suicide for the first time at the age of 12. Since then, she's been diagnosed with schizoaffective disorder, depression, anxiety, and post-traumatic stress disorder, a result of being sexually abused by her adoptive grandfather as a young girl. So she's been through a lot as well, Asad. Yeah, it sounds like it. I mean, that's a lot. Since the age of 16, she has also struggled with substance abuse turning to intoxicants such as alcohol, marijuana, methamphetamine, crack and powder cocaine, opiates as a means of escape. According to the Des Moines Register, Poole Franklin's state public defender Matthew Sheely claimed that at the time of the hit and run attacks, Poole was not taking medication for her schizophrenia as she was pregnant and worried that the prescription may harm her child. Wow. Without her medication, Poole Franklin's hallucinations returned, becoming so severe that just days before the attacks, she claimed to be meeting, and get this Asad, with North Korean dictator Kim Jong-un at a Sheraton hotel in West Des Moines. What? Wow, that's, that's great. That's definitely a hallucination for sure. I mean, maybe he was there and we just didn't know. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Right? Yeah. Her grasp on reality only slipped further when she once again began to self-medicate with substances such as meth, marijuana, and alcohol. Mm. According to Clive Police, just hours before the hit-and-run attacks, Poole Franklin had smoked meth. Oh my God, I said, this is too much information to grasp. Yeah, you know, Sally, I think that all these facts are important for us to analyze as we kind of determine, you know, Poole Franklin's kind of state of mind. I mean, she's been through a lot throughout her entire life, dealing with really severe mental issues and then obviously self-medicating and not taking the medication that she should be, you know, or that was prescribed to her. And so, yeah, it's it's a lot to take in. And then to know that she had smoked meth um, just hours before the hit and run attacks. I mean, that's just can't do that. You know, Sadie, it just seems like her struggles were just really exacerbated by environmental factors and unfortunate life circumstances throughout her entire life. You're absolutely right, Asit. She came from a broken home in which her single mother worked multiple jobs and moved the family around often, which can definitely have an impact on the kids, right? Adding to that, Poole Franklin consistently 
struggled with poverty and unstable housing and later in life struggled with postpartum depression divorce and losing the rights to her child mm. and that asad can be so devastating for any parent yeah agreed so given all of these circumstances as well as her mental health struggles Paul Franklin consistently ran into problems with the law beginning at the age of 18. These problems ranged from misdemeanor theft to tampering with a witness to assault and harassment. According to Denny Shealy, she had become entranced by conservative news outlets, many of which portrayed immigrants as destructive invaders. So, as a I am a destructive invader. Did you know that? <laughs> I mean, that's why I'm doing this podcast with you because I'm I feel like you're just completely destructive and just invading my space and yeah, 100%. Or if you didn't do this podcast with me, I would most likely destroy you as a Anyways, he believes that had she not been in jail at the time of the January 6th attack on the Capitol, she would have participated in the uprising herself. All of these factors seem to have come together to create a troubled, angry woman full of prejudice and hate, so much so that she was willing to run over two children, as they imagine two children who she deemed to be members of an I quote dangerous minority groups. Yeah, it's one thing I mean obviously I don't condone this at all, but it's one thing to take your rage out on adults, but to take your rage out on two innocent children that you don't know i mean that's like a next level ridiculousness to me i mean just like bizarre behavior you know i said i am almost tempted to call her evil but then when i think about her mental health and her mental state i almost have to stop myself so i am very conflicted right now about how i feel about paul franklin yeah i'm i'm with you on that So we are going to take another quick break but when we return we'll be discussing Paul Franken's trial and whether or not these attacks can be considered hate crimes. Welcome back to Invisible Hate. So Saudi, it's December of 2019, the police have just discovered that Paul Franklin is responsible for running over two young children in her jeep. What happens next? So as it following her arrest, it becomes clear that Paul Franklin is in a state of mental disarray. She is hyperverbal and seems to be experiencing auditory hallucinations while in custody at the Polk County Jail. Very quickly, she is found to be mentally incompetent mm. to stand trial and is committed to a state mental health classification facility in Iowa County for treatment. However, within a few short months her mental competency is restored and state criminal proceedings are resumed and this is confusing to me Asad. I get that she was committed to a mental health facility but then how do you determine that within a few short months someone is mentally stable enough to be prosecuted? So I am a bit Yeah, this is there. very confusing me to me too because essentially what you're saying is that so she was mentally competent when she ran over the three individuals but then very quickly afterwards when she was arrested she was found to be mentally incompetent to stand trial and then 
a few months later, she, her mental capacity was restored. And so that seems very often. I, I don't know how how it's determined, but it seems like you can't just go back and forth with your mental capacity that quickly, maybe. I don't know. Right. And again, we are not experts, but it is confusing. And you're absolutely right, Asad. You bring up such an important point because then the assumption is when the incident happened, she was mentally competent, right? Otherwise, she would not even be tried. Anyways, Paul Franklin accepts responsibility for her offenses. And in April of 2021, she pleads guilty in state court and signs a plea agreement to the state attempted murder charges. On May 28, 2021, she is sentenced to concurrent 25-year terms of imprisonment on these state charges. Mm. So she is sentenced. And now with state charges, what about the federal charges, Sadia? Yes, Poole Franklin must also deal with two federal hate crime charges, Asad. On April 21, 2021, just three days after signing a plea agreement to the state attempted murder charges, a two-count information is filed charging Poole Franklin with committing two violations of the Federal Hate Crimes Act on December 9, 2019. That same day, she submits guilty pleas. What are the Federal Hate Crimes Act? What is it? So as said, the Federal Hate Crimes Act passed in 2011 states that whoever willfully causes bodily injury to any person or attempts to cause bodily injury to any person because of the actual or perceived race, color, religion, or national origin of any person shall be imprisoned for any term of years or for life, fined or both, if the offense includes, unquote. So as said, this may include attempted or actual kidnapping, sexual abuse, or homicide. So, sadly, just to be clear, it basically criminalizes hate crimes and outlines the punishment for those offenses, right? right? So what does Poole Franklin's plea agreement consist of? So Poole Franklin's plea agreement, written by her federal public defense attorney, Joseph Harold, recommends that a sentence of no more than 324 months of imprisonment be imposed and that this sentence be served concurrently with her state sentence. This is confusing, Asad, but let me clarify it more for our listeners. Herald essentially argues that Poole Franklin's severe mental health issues, substance abuse, and unfortunate life circumstances contributed significantly to her actions on December 9, 2019, and her sentence should therefore be reduced from the suggested 360 months to no more than 324 months. Yeah, Sadi, you know, I, I don't disagree with that. And so, um, yeah, that makes sense. Does the court accept this argument? Ultimately, the court accepts the terms of the plea agreement, I said. And on August 19, 2021, Poole Franklin is sentenced by U.S. District Judge Stephanie M. Rose to 304 months in federal prison that is 25 years and four months. Just as the plea agreement requested, Poole Franklin will serve these sentences concurrently to one another and to the sentence imposed in the related state court case. So, okay, wow. So the two charges of attempted homicide and the two charges of federal hate crimes culminate with one 25-year sentence. You know, that's pretty serious um, for sure. So, Sally, do we want to, now that we understand the facts of the case, you know, do we want to talk about whether or not this is a hate crime? 
Yes, absolutely. So what do you think? To me, the simple answer seems to be yes, as the court officially deemed Poole Franklin's actions as hate crimes, sentencing her on two federal hate crime charges, right? It seems pretty simple. And her actions seem to have been clearly racially motivated, as she claims to have hit the boy because she believed him to be of what? Middle Eastern origin and to have hit the girl because she believed her to be Mexican. So that's pretty simple, Asad, yeah, right? I think, I think that's true. Yep. But Asad, there are so many other factors that we have to consider, right? Poole Franklin's mental state, her upbringing, the situation that she was in, not having a job, no home, her kid being taken away from her. She was suffering from schizophrenia. She was having hallucinations. And that's where it gets tricky for me. And I'm not sure if I can fully reconcile with the idea of seeing this as a hate crime. So I am conflicted. Yeah, I think, Sadia, I, I am too, but I'm leaning more towards that this is a hate crime. And I recognize, you know, all the trauma that she suffered in her entire life and um, and and just her lot in life. But, you know, I think at the end of the day, I think there's a little bit of personal responsibility here that, that you know, needs to happen. I think that the fact that she pled guilty to all those charges, I think that for me is also a sign that, you know, this is a hate crime if she if she agrees, <laughs> you know, to it, that it was a hate crime. Um, but yeah, no, I, I struggle with it as well. Because like, if her lot in life was different and the circumstances of her upbringing and and her mental health were different. Would she have committed this act of violence? I think you could argue she probably wouldn't have, right? Yeah. But I think at the end of the day, like it's just the crimes were so egregious and so random and so clearly driven by hate that I I think I have to lean towards this was a hate crime. Right. Again, I said we agree to disagree. Agree to disagree. Exactly. Nice. That we should get that on on our t-shirts. <laughs> we should have said. Do you think people will buy our t-shirts to listeners? If you're <laughs> listening, if we had those t-shirts, would you buy them? <laughs> Let us know. So, Asit, if you're thinking where Poole Franklin is today, yeah, what's the latest? Well, she continues to serve her 25-year sentence in federal prison. The victims and their families have gone on with their lives though there is no doubt that these incidents will stick with them for years to come. And we can only hope that they recover from the trauma of these hate crimes, Asad. And in holding these conversations, we really hope to awaken a greater degree of awareness of these issues and their harmful effects while shedding light on these strong victims and their powerful stories. So yes, yeah, Ali, thanks for that update. Is there a way to help? So Asad, while there is no direct way to help Natalia Miranda, the 12-year-old boy and their families, you can aid in fight against hateful actions and the protection and support of minority groups by donating to non-profit organizations such as Prosperity Now, Rise Against Hate, the Black Institute, and many more. So Asad, how are you feeling about this case today? Yeah, you know, Sally, that's a great question. I think it's a it's really a tough one because I, I really sympathize with people that are dealing with mental health issues and, you know, how that chemistry makeup can change who you are. And so this was a really, I think, tough case for me. You know, 25 years in prison, I guess for me, it's just another kind of 
sad case of someone who does have kind of hate in their heart for whatever reason and it being showcased as violence towards random people that they see, you know, in their in their communities. And that, that to me is always just a sad story. How about you? You're right, Asit. But when I asked you how you were feeling, I meant how you were feeling oh. about this as a person with feelings and emotions because these cases are tough to read and you know read through and narrate look at research and sometimes I think you and I don't check on each other as often so that was my question okay well maybe ask yourself that first and then let me get let me think about it some and then I'll respond to to what you said so as for me I'll tell you this these cases are having an impact on me and I do think about a lot of things and people who know me know that I am an anxious person. So sometimes I really have to pause and think. But at the same time, I also know that these conversations are absolutely essential to have. And if we don't cover these stories, others may not. And that's a loss for the society in general. So despite the fact that these stories make me a lot more anxious and sometimes even fearful for minorities, including Muslims in America, I am hopeful that bringing these stories to light will change that for our society. No, very well said, Sadia. Thank you. I I don't think I have anything to add. Thank you, Asad. And thank you for doing this with me, being my co-host and co-producer for this. I am so glad we are doing this together. 100% agree. Thank you so much for listening to Invisible Heat. If you want to learn more, check out links in the show notes about the case. Please email us your thoughts on this story or any other story that you think we should cover. You can reach us at info at invisiblehatepodcast.com. You can also tweet us or hit us up on Instagram. Just search for Invisible Hate Podcast. And thanks again for listening. If you like what you hear, please, please, please share with a friend. Invisible Hate is a joint production between Rafaelion Media and Immigrantly. We'd like to thank our team, which includes Michaela Strather, Isabel Havens, Emmanuel Monahan, and Paroma Chakravarti. Our music was done by Simon Hutchinson. We'll be back next week with another hate crime for us to take a look at. Until then, I'm Asad Butt. And I'm Sadia Khan. Thank you.